we're in the middle of kind of a series of conversations that, um, that, that move from Jesus' stories and his teachings in the book of Matthew. And, uh, and we're kind of noticing specifically about how Matthew is portraying Jesus as the fulfillment, okay? How, he's, how, how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of Israel's hopes, and he's the fulfillment of all of God's heart, all at the same time. And so what, what can we learn today? Um, what does it mean for us to see that Jesus is the pu- fulfillment of kind of the promises of God and the hope of God's people? Uh, last week, Sabrina uh, shared, and she spoke about the final section of what we call the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5 through 7, where Jesus talks about um, building your life on a solid foundation um, through actions, not just a bunch of head knowledge, but, uh, but living a way of life that is building a foundation on, on the teachings and the, and the character of Jesus. Uh, so we're going to dive, actually, we're going to take a step back. That was from Matthew 7. We're going to take a step back and dive into this Sermon on the Mount for a couple weeks. Uh, and it's called that because Jesus went up to a hillside. That's about it. Um, but it's, it's called that for, for more, more reasons than one. Mountains were really, really significant in the scriptures. Uh, but we'll get there in just a second. When, one of the things, before we set up what we're about to look into, um, and, oh, the, it's already up there. It's a giveaway. Um, one of the things that we're going to hit in just a minute is understanding Jesus in the, in the big picture. So Matthew paints Jesus as the bringer of a renewed exodus. All right, so the exodus, <laughs> told about in guess what book? Exodus. Yep, yep, there will be a quiz later. Exodus is found in what book of the Bible? Um, so, so it's the story of Israel's slavery, okay, uh, in Egypt that they were brought out of, that Moses led them out of. We won't get into all of that, but here's the, how the story goes. Moses, when he began rescuing his people from their slavery to the promised land, wandered around in the desert with his people in the wilderness for, anybody know this time how long? 40 years, thank you. So, so eventually, when they got to the edge of the promised land, Moses was able to bring kind of the, a word from God, and it was full of what it would take to be the covenant people. He renewed this covenant, and he said, here's a bunch of blessings and a bunch of curses that'll happen if you do the right stuff, okay? And so that's, that's the foundation of, of kind of what happened back then, all right? And so it was a reminder that God wanted to be connected to his people and that they were to be unique in the world, and that uniqueness was by a very clear and laid out set of rules and behaviors to follow, all right? So in Matthew, we get a fresh story. Jesus comes onto the scene. He alone emerges or, or heads out into the wilderness for how long? 40 days. Interesting number correlation there. So we've got four, 40 years, 40 days, and Jesus comes out of that time, out of that time proclaiming that the kingdom of God is near, also had connotations to a new promised land. So the kingdom of God is what he begins talking about. And then he goes up to the edge of a mountain, and he begins to lay out a new law, a new way of being in God's covenant. But instead, the rules are a little bit harder to define. They're a little wonky. They're not like, okay, here's my my top ten list of exactly what I have to do. In fact, he takes a lot of things that you have to do and he reworks them so that you can't just check off a box and instead it becomes more about what's going on internally. But, but it's, all, it's all brand new, really fresh, 
very exciting to some people and very jarring to other people. So I told you how Moses on the edge of that promised land gives a bunch of these blessings and curses. Well, Jesus starts out by giving a whole bunch of similar statements, but they're totally different because they're just a bunch of blessings, first of all. And it's called the Beatitudes, right? And, and so the Beatitudes uh, are this, this statement where Jesus says, blessed are you, and he proclaims blessings onto people who are struggling, who feel weak, people who are grieving, um, people who long to see the right things happen in the world, but people who have, have been mistreated, people who get caught in traffic. Like it's these blessed are you when, these things that you might not think are that great to happen to you. And Jesus says, I'm with you in the hard moments and God's with you in a special way. And so you've got to remember that the people listening to this are starting to say, huh, what? That sounds more like me. That doesn't sound like these like folks over here. You know, none of those Pharisees are meek. So what's this? None of the, none of the people in power are, are poor in spirit. So, so you're talking about me? I'm who this message is to? That's really important. Okay, really, really important. So that's what we have, right? Jesus begins building this different kind of base. This, these blessings that are based on compassion and they're based on character, not simply the rules, right? But after he begins to declare these blessings, then what Jesus does is he turns the corner and he moves from kind of compassionate declarations to a very interesting call to boldness and to call to action. And so here's how, uh, here's one of the things he says. Now, he actually also talks about being salt in the world. And you've heard this passage maybe before if you've been around the church where Jesus talks about his followers being salt and light. They're, they're very similar in what they're getting at, but I want to focus on the second one this time. Um, but just to show that I'm not just ignoring scripture. So when Jesus says, you are the salt, the salt, we, we think about it in all sorts of different ways. Um, but really, realistically, salt's purpose in the ancient Near East was to preserve stuff, to keep things from going bad. So there's your catch. Say, you are the salt of the earth. Just keep things from going bad. Keep goodness out there. Don't let ugliness break things down and take over the power of sin, the power of evil, the power of violence. Um, don't let it happen. But he, saw, but, he, but he goes on and he follows that right up by saying, you are the light of the world. Now, again, don't miss where this statement comes in. Who's the you? Yeah, and, and specifically with the all of us, it's the all of us who were not the people in power. He was not teaching inside in the, in the temple or the synagogue at this point. He's teaching out on a hillside, accessible to all people, even the onlookers who might not even have been Jewish, right? So Jesus is saying, you, he's been talking about the types of people that the Beatitudes are declared for, and then he says, you are the light of the world. The poor ones, the ones who are overlooked, the unimportant, the ones who have suffered, the ones whose hearts are breaking to see things made right. They're the ones he's talking to. And so he gives this example. And he says, he, says, uh, he says, you're the light of the world. A town built on a hill can't be hidden. Okay. So a town built on a hill is the example that he gives. So just imagine someone building a town and saying, we want to be here so that we can see everything that's happening. Maybe for defense, maybe for um, to, to be in um, a, a place where... You can be noticed from afar so that other people would say, oh, that land's occupied. I don't want to come around it. Maybe so that you can um, 
have direction. You know, we know that it was built where there was a temple mount with a spring flowing, all these different reasons. But the point is, listen, if you choose to build a city on a hill, you can't cover it up. A big wall does not help accomplish that, and you don't have the technology of Wakanda. So, so you just can't do it. If you're going to build a city on a hill, it's going to be very, very visible. It's the way it is. And he says, you are a city on a hill. And so, so, so you can't hide it, and you shouldn't. And then he keeps moving with that imagery. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people put a lamp, um, or neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. So then the second image is, hey, listen, just think about a lamp. Nobody lights a lamp and then says, oh, we need to cover that up because it's lighting things. The reason that you light a lamp is to give light to the space around you, right? That is literally the only purpose that a lamp has, except for the leg lamp in the, in the, the Christmas story. That was built with multiple purposes to draw attention to itself, which is a problem that we're going to address in just a moment. But so, so a lamp exists to provide light. And this is an old imagery. It's mentioned twice in Isaiah in chapter 42 and chapter 49 that God's people had been intended to be a light to the Gentiles or a light to the world. Okay? And this was a kind of light, not just, so often light is talked about as illuminating darkness, right? Like exposing evil and, and wrongdoing, and that's true. But also a light to light the way where people are, who are struggling in darkness can see their way forward. And so there's this incredible imagery that hearkens all of the Old Testament calling of what God's people were supposed to be, but in a completely kind of new and fresh way, because he was talking not to the powerful leaders and the rich rulers, but to the common people, to all the people who were just starting to gather around Jesus. That's it. So this is where we're at. Um, and, uh, and it's absolutely fascinating when we begin to think about um, what, what else is being said here. There's something implied in the nature of the illustration like this about what you are. Because it's not like, hey, you all should strive to be blank. If you follow me, you should be striving to be a light in the world. He's saying, no, by nature, your very identity is that you are a light. It's the only way. It's the only way to be a follower is that you're a light. Um, but one of the fascinating things is, is maybe a caution. Um, a caution that we can also hear today is, is this statement, you're tempted to look like everybody else. You're tempted to, to look just like everyone around you, but you're called to be something unique. It's a part of your identity. Don't shy away from it. It's, it's literally the exact way that you have been made. Um, and there's, there's power there. And so how do you do that? How do you do that? Next verse. Um, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Okay, so how do you live as a light following Jesus? You do great things in public, very visibly. And people see them, and they are appointed to God's goodness. That's what you are supposed to do. You are supposed to be seen. All right? Go out there, friends. Be amazing. And be very public about it. Right in front of everybody. God bless you. Have a good day. We will see you next week. Except we can't do that. Right? There's only one problem. And that problem is chapter 6. In the exact same talk, we see some different words of Jesus. And so right after we're told to be very, very visible in chapter 6, this is probably five minutes later. 
We don't really know that. It could have been compiled over many sayings of Jesus. But we expect, as, as much as we can tell in the text, that in the exact same flow of consciousness, here's what Jesus says. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, we could put in, like, in parentheses, for example. When you give to the needy, for example, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving might be done in secret. Then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Okay, thanks for the clarification, Jesus. So don't be seen when you do good things. All right. So we have on one side... Actually, I I think it's really interesting there, before we even talk about the dichotomy here, it's really interesting that what he says is, listen, if you, you know... If, if you've done this and, you know, you get honored from other people when, uh, when you do your stuff, the transaction is complete. It's a nice transaction, you know. You do good things, people notice it, they compliment you on it, that's great. It's done. Like, you're, you're clear. <laughs> and God sees that and he's like, good. You got, you know, you got yourself puffed up a little bit, that's it. Means, doesn't mean much to me, Jesus says. But, but that's great. The transaction has been, has been completed. But he, but he cautions about something here. And it's really, really, really important. Righteousness, by the way, is not like self-righteousness there. Righteousness in the scriptures is just literally right ways of living. That's what righteousness need, means. So if it's a super high and holy, like literally if you break down the word, it means right ways of living God's life, God's heart. Righteousness, right ways of living. Um, and so, so when, when we're doing this um, and, and just living in this way, we're expected that we are going to do good and beautiful things, specifically here, caring for the poor. But there's a caution, right? You feel deeply satisfied. You've been noticed. You've been acclaimed. Great. Don't expect God to be impressed. I, uh, this, this makes me think, I used to work with a traveling youth ministry called, ironically, Salt and Light, um, youth ministries, but, uh, but we would go around and we would do weekend retreats and camps for young kids and big worship um, evenings, and there was lots of dances and all sorts of creative expressions, and uh, it required massive amounts of setup, like music, sound, all that, lighting, and, and I learned from the tech guys that a great tech guy, according to them, or, or gal, is an invisible one right? Like if someone is really doing their job well, running the soundboard or running the lights or whatever, then you never even know that they exist, right? It is all behind the scenes. That's what they're happy with. It's perfect. You don't know that they exist. It's great. And so there's a little bit of an example there of Jesus saying that. Now compare that to our Instagram culture where if you go to some sort of a benefit event and you don't post about it, did it really happen? Um, did it really happen? Because you got to make sure that everybody knows. And so what do we have here? So let's, let's just take a look. So in Matthew 5, can you hop up, Brian, on me? Thanks. So in Matthew 5, we're told to let our light shine before others that they may see. Not just it's, you know, and part of the consequences that they do, but that they can see you. Do, the, do good things. Do acts of compassion, righteousness, love, faithfulness in front of others that they can see your good deeds and glorify Father. And then... Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Both of them talk about being seen. So be seen or don't be seen. 
Do you know what this photograph is? There's an actual photograph, actual photograph of Jesus. Um, yep. And you know, you know what Jesus is doing? He's flip-flopping there. Yeah. Isn't that great? Thank you. Uh, so, no, but, so is Jesus just flip-flopping? Is, is Jesus just saying one thing out of one side of his mouth and then something out of another? What do we do with this? Is, is this inconsistency of Jesus as we look at what it means to be God's people, or is there something deeper that's happening? And I would suggest, friends, that there's, there's something deeper happening and that this is not contradictory. And it's based on two through lines within these sayings. Uh, and, and I think the, the first through line, I think, is really important and it's really interesting. And through both, in very different ways, Jesus is saying that his people are to be people of influence. Right? You are called to be people who make a difference in the world. It's fascinating that in the scriptures, in the book of John, Jesus is called the light of the world. The early church responded to Jesus in, in light imagery and talking about that. And Jesus says to his disciples, to his disciples, you are the light of the world. There's this understanding of a partnership that is happening. And he's saying, yes, I came to redeem and restore all things, but I'm putting power in your hands to be used to influence the world so that they can see the goodness of God and the nature of God's kingdom. Don't shy away from that. Don't just blend in. Actually take influence and use it. And even when you are doing things done in secret, the assumption is that you are radically changing lives. You are giving to the poor. You are caring. You have a role to play, and it's an influential role. But sometimes, especially because of the damage, I think, that that has been happening in the church, so much lack of integrity, so many ugly things that have happened either in the name of God or by leaders who claim um, to be Christ followers and then knowingly harm others. It's really, it's, it's easy for us less and less to even want to identify our love as an outflow of, of our faith in Christ. It's easier to, you know, if we're going to let our light shine, it's just so that they might see your good deeds, period, Right? It's just so that people can know that, like, we're loving and we're good and we want to do good things. But often we shy away from that identity that we could have and use influentially, not just to change lives, but to help draw people toward God's heart. And that can actually happen, whether it's very public or not very public at all. But our way of living should be noticeable. But it should be so much in line with God's heart that it moves people toward God. And, uh, and that's hard. That requires humility and character mixed with our boldness. This is a challenging and complicated because of how many times we have just seen influence used poorly. Sometimes it comes in the form of other things, right? Like, if I can't get someone to move toward faith, I was not successful at all in my love. You know, I was a part of a uh, uh, serving back at my old, where we used to live in Pennsylvania, at a soup kitchen in the city that provided a really, really necessary and important ministry. But you were only allowed to eat if you sat through the church service right beforehand. And, and I understand the heart of wanting people, of, of the people behind it, wanting to make sure that, that the folks who were being fed knew that it was an outflow of, of their faith of why they were doing this. But what it ended up doing was linking our compassion to requiring you to come our way especially like make a commitment right now and then we'll 
love you just a little bit more or be a little more open. But if you're not at that spot, then we aren't going to show you that compassion. So even if the heart wasn't there, there's things that happen that, that maybe have missed the mark when we think about doing our good deeds and glorifying God. Uh, another way um, that influence can be dangerous without character. Uh, let me just put this down here too because that's the second piece. Oh boy, that's not a good one. Let's try the purple here. Not much better. Another way that influence does not work well um, without character is when it moves us to something that is often called um, like virtue signaling. Are you familiar with this, this phrase? So virtue signaling is making sure that very publicly you are seen and perceived by others as being on the correct side, right? As, as being one of the good ones out there. But your heart and your life isn't necessarily focused on doing anything. But you want to make sure that you know that people know where you stand. Because then you get a ton of pats on the back about being on the correct side. So something happens on the other side of the world. I'm against it. Make sure you post it. And then you just like keep eating your sandwich. And, and maybe there are times and places where that is still a good, a good move. But we need to be really careful. Because we, we begin, if we try to have influence without actually having character to back up what we're doing, we maybe begin to practice our righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them. So the motive is crucial here. But both of them, both of these passages say we are to be people of influence, and both of the passages say that you are called to have the character of one that is filled with the compassion of Christ and, and to live it out in regular, real ways. And so uh, I, I think the crazy thing is that the same actions that we do can actually sometimes, and you probably know this, they can sometimes fall into both categories that Jesus talks about. It's like uh, I was thinking the other day uh, about, are some of you familiar with an app called Strava? Strava is a, uh, it's like social media for people who, who do activities, like physical activities. So when you go on a bike ride, if you have a watch that tracks that, you can start it and stop it and it automatically uploads as like a post. Keith biked six miles today, that sort of a thing. And, uh, and here's the thing that I love, because my, my boys are on it, because they're runners and I'm on it. Um, it's one of the few social media sites that I actually see can be really positive, uh, but, but what happens is it opens the door to this awesome amount of encouragement and inspiration. Like, I, I can see friends who do new trails, run new trails that I've never run before. Oh, that's really cool. Thanks. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check that out. Or, way to go. And it can be full of accountability, right? I know that my friends are doing, you know, doing their long runs this week, so I'm going to join um, and do mine, too, because we talked about how we, we want to keep training, you know, even though we're on opposite sides of the state or something like that. So it can be this tool that's incredibly good, right? And you're not allowed to thumbs down anything, right? If you don't think somebody, like, ran fast enough or far enough, you can't give, like, a thumbs down. All you can do is give a thumbs up or move on. So it's a lot more encouraging than, than some, some other places. Um, but but uh, what, what I want to bring out is that it can also bring this massive pressure in addition to spurring me on and helping me spur one another on. I, I've noticed as a distance runner a couple times where I've been supposed to be on my recovery day, which is just easy, slow running. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, other people are going to see 
what my pace was. So I better like keep it up decent, right? And uh, so you run just a little faster than you're supposed to run that day. And what ends up happening is you end up making sure that you get approval from others. And you know what else happens? You end up getting injured. And you end up not being able to do the good things that you wanted to do and that was a part of your plan because trying to impress other people all of a sudden got in the way of your ultimate purpose. Now, Strava is not doing good deeds, right? That's just a, a, an example of how something that can be used for encouragement can also quickly become a source of arrogance and, um, and pride and ego. And so, uh, so I think that we have to ask our question of what is our goal every time that we do anything? What's your goal? What do you want to accomplish? Are you aware of what your goal is? People will always see what our goal is. They'll always have a sense of it. People are pretty, pretty insightful. So is our goal, when we live out our faith, is our goal to look really good? Is our goal to make sure that people know that we are good Christians? Is our, is our goal to impress others? Or is our goal to live out goodness and love as freely as possible without shame and do that in a way that helps others move toward Jesus? Can we live these things out? Which one is it? Maybe it's both. Um, and maybe we go back and forth <laughs> a little more each day, and maybe it's a battle in our, in our own spirit. Um, but what matters is not simply the action, but the spirit of it. So I'm going to say that as we walk in this idea of what does it look like to be people who, whose actions are seen when we follow Jesus, all right, where we are unashamed to be light in the world, but also listen to Jesus' caution about not doing things to be seen by others, which I do think is actually a really, a really, challenging, um, a really challenging road to walk these days. Um, but I want us to, to think about two things. Number one, I think uh, it's important that we are willing, there we go, to reflect on our motives. All right? If we want to be faithful to Jesus every single time we decide to step into actions of love, we have to say, what is my motive for doing this? What is my desire? Where does it come from? And the second thing that I encourage us to do is examine the fruit. When we attempt to live out the way of Jesus actively around us, specifically in the spirit that Jesus says, which leads us to be a light for the world, what's the fruit? Are people experiencing the love and compassion of God? Or are people super impressed with us? Is the fruit that my ego is growing or that I am being filled with a sense of living the way of Jesus in right relationship? Like, what's the fruit? When we look back and we say, okay, what came of this? I felt like I, I wanted to, uh, you know, I don't know, at Christmas, I wanted to, um, let's say, buy, have any of you heard of the Heifer, Heifer Project? All right. That was a friend of my mom's that started that thing years ago, so they were always family friends out in Indiana. But now it's, it was this tiny, tiny little thing, but you can like buy half a cow or a whole cow or a flock of, of geese. No, ducks. I don't think geese are valuable. Um, a flock of ducks, things like, did he, flock, right? What's a bunch of ducks? 
Someone tell me afterwards if they know, because all different types of birds in groups are called something different, so it's not a gaggle. But I don't know if it's a flock. I've never heard someone say a flock of ducks. Flock of seagulls, but not flock of ducks. Okay, so anyways, you, what you can do is you can go in and you can purchase like a cow that goes to a family that helps provide for, for them, and it's like $300 or $500, and you can do a donation in your name. And, and uh, you, can, you can send that to different people. So for Christmas, you can be like, I did, like, instead of getting you a gift, I bought seven goats and sent them to Nigeria, you know. And it can be really, really good, but what we have to acknowledge, like, what's our end game with that? Is it the compassion? In which case, could you have just bought those <laughs> and sent them? <laughs> instead of sending the card of letting someone know. I'm not saying that there's a motive attached to that necessarily, but there could be, right? There could always be these little things where we want to do good stuff, and we have to say, what's the fruit? Was the fruit that people had a chance to see God's goodness in and through our lives, or was the fruit that I feel better? Um, This is maybe how we can decide what deeds should be done in secret and what can be done right in front of people to point them toward God. And by the way, uh, one more thing, and then we're going to dialogue in just a minute, but this does not mean false humility and deflection when someone, for example, offers compliments or gratitude. Um, And this might ruffle feathers, but believe me, many people are kind of irritated when they decide that they want to share the impact that you had on them or gratitude of something, and you act like it was nothing and just say, well, all glory to God, and and you breeze that off. There may be a better way for us to handle those moments that honor the fact that someone's like, but I really want to communicate that I know that that was an effort from you that impacted me positively. What if, instead of of giving just a quick deflection, what if we reframe it? There's nothing wrong with just saying thank you. But what if someone gave us a compliment about something that we did and we say, wow, I am so thankful that that impacted you positively. I'm trying to learn the way of Jesus, and I don't always get it right. But it's awesome to know that you felt cared for. Like, what if we began to reframe to help people understand that Jesus is our motivation, but not in a way that sounds self-righteous or that can be passed off quickly as Christian lingo? What if we reframe stuff like that? When we do good actions, are we comfortable with admitting that it flows from God's goodness? Does it flow from God's goodness, friends? But are we comfortable because Jesus said you are designed for that? We can change the reputation of Christians. Maybe not fully, <laughs> but in our tiny little world. We can, in, in Aspira, here at this school, in our neighborhoods, we can make a difference about how people think about the Jesus folks out there. Because we have a reputation problem right now. And so we can do that, and we're called to do it. So Jesus' reminders here, you know, to be... Um, our, our, we have a calling to be known as God's people of love and redemption and grace. So there's identity and courage in there. And then the second statement is a cautionary reminder about the humility that's needed to avoid the downfalls of pride and self-seeking and power over people that so quickly come up. Uh, to everything there is a season, right? I was listening to that around my campfire while I was cooking brats last night to the original one. Um, we, were, we did dinner outside, and I was, I was thinking about that song earlier and this idea that there's a season sometimes that we have to learn to practice things completely independently of anyone's knowledge just to make sure that we're keeping our heart 
And there's times to just be bold with our love and open and know that people are going to notice and be ready to respond with humility and, and an expression of our faith when they do. Uh, are you secure enough in your identity that you don't need others to tell you how good you're doing? Good questions. Can we live with those tensions? Jesus says that we need both, right? We need actions that boldly point toward God's goodness, and we need such a deep well of humility that we regularly do awesome things that nobody knows about. And I can't, like, give examples of that because I don't do it enough. But also, if I was doing it, that would kill it because Jesus calls us to be the types of people that don't need that. It's very hard. Very hard for me. The good news is that we are just simply reflecting the light of the sun, right? We are God's moons. We just reflect the light of the sun. We, we don't manufacture goodness of our own strength. So the humility that's required to do these deeds in secret is empowered by the identity that Jesus gives us. And the strength and the inspiration and the ideas to do wonderful, loving, caring acts unashamedly in public is by the strength of Jesus and the light of Jesus, not by us trying to grind it out. So we rest in the grace even in that calling. All right. So let's, uh, let's, let's just be still with Jesus for a moment, knowing that he's the one that gives us the identity for both influence and character. And then uh, let's, let's have a little bit of dialogue about how this is stirring you, living out those tensions. All right, friends? Lord, the calling to be public is just a challenging one. And uh, it's beautiful, but we've often seen it done in ways that are not helpful and that don't actually move people toward Jesus. So help us figure this out. But more than that, as Jesus seemed to be talking over and over about our partnership with him, help us have this deep, deep well of humility as we do so. Uh, where we can trust that <laughs> the rewards that you offer uh, of a life in full relationship and joy now and forever are, uh, are worth far more than making sure that other people know how good we are. Help us discern all that, Lord. In your name we pray.